I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Genesis chapters 16 through 18. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. King James Version is also available. In chapter 16 of Genesis, we see that there are two women, but only one Abram. Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress, and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren." Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Ro'ai. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Well, they've been in Canaan now for about ten years and still no child. Sarai gets an idea. Take Hagar, my Egyptian handmaid, as your second wife. She'll give us a son. Abraham's good with that idea, and Hagar can see. That's where the trouble really begins. Hagar gets a little snooty with Sarai. We see in verse 4. Abraham, or Abram as he's called at this point in time, Grant Sarai permission to deal with his second wife, causing Hagar to fly the coop. After being intercepted by the angel of the Lord on her way back to Egypt, she willingly returns to Abram and Sarai for the birth of her child, with an attitude adjustment, it appears. It's interesting what the angel told her about her not-yet-born son, Ishmael. 
in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. Here's what he said. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. As it turns out, Ishmael had 12 sons. We see that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 20, which we'll look at in a few moments. These sons dispersed all over the Arabian Peninsula. And just as the angel said in verse 10, his descendants, the Arabs, are too plenteous to number. Come to think of it, they're a scrappy bunch too, just as the angel said they would be in verse 12. Not just scrappy, but history reveals that indeed, verse 12 is validated among Ishmael's Arab descendants even down to today. We see in verse 13 that this angel of the Lord is identified as Jehovah, or Yahweh, however you wish to pronounce it, Yahweh himself. As a matter of fact, Hagar expresses concern in that she's seen God. Later on, we see in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, it says, But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. That's God speaking there. Now, here's an interesting comparison. Notice how similar this incident is to Eve's encouragement to Adam in the garden with regard to the fruit. Sarah had the idea. Eve had the idea. Both ideas were conjured up by the women, offered to the men, and both had bad outcomes. Incidentally, according to verse 16, Abraham is 86 years old when Ishmael is born, and Sarai, or Sarah, is 76 or so. In chapter 17, Abram gets a name change, and Sarai, she gets a name change also. Verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name." 
and I will bless her, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is one hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. And Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, That very same day Abraham was circumcised, and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, let's do an age recap for Abraham here. He was 75 years old when he left Haran, 86 when Ishmael was born, and now he's 99 years old without a child between Sarah and himself. Sarah is 90 years old. God speaks to Abraham and reiterates his covenant with him while changing his name from Abram to Abraham and Sarai's name from Sarai to Sarah. In verse 8, God once again states that all of Canaan will be his possession and that he'll be the father of many nations in verses 4 through 6. Now here's the token of that covenant, circumcision of male children on the eighth day. What about the adults in Abraham's household? Well, it's retroactive. They get circumcised also. As a matter of fact, notice how much importance is stressed by God himself regarding this practice for the descendants of Abraham when it says in verse 4, "...and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person should be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." The token of God's covenant with Abraham would continue to be circumcision still recognized as such in Jesus' day among the Jews and even among Jews today. In verses 23 to 27, we see that every male under Abraham's domain was circumcised that very same day. What a day! In the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, you'll find an an insertion from the Jewish Study Bible to give you a good idea of how very, very important today circumcision is to the observant Jew. The day also includes a a laugh line. Oh, Sarah is going to be a mommy. Abraham must have felt pretty comfortable talking with God to laugh out loud as he did in verse 17 when, when told by God that a couple of near centenarians were going to have a baby. You must admit God's promises had unfolded pretty slowly for Abraham over the last 24 years, at least by today's fast food standards. Abraham was content to have Ishmael only as his heir, but God had something better. He was to have a pre-named son, Isaac, through whom all the promises of the covenant would flow. 
Now, this is an important point. Look at what verse 19 tells us about God's covenant through Isaac. It says, Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Poor Ishmael. All this time he thought he was going to be the sole heir to Abraham. What a difference a day makes. But before you feel too sorry for Ishmael, he does get a handsome guarantee in verse 20. Here's what it says. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. That's right. There are your Arabs of today fulfilling the prophecy of Genesis 16 verse 12 and still plotting the destruction of Abraham's descendants through Isaac, the Jewish nation of Israel. We see those 12 princes of Ishmael in Genesis chapter 25, verses 12 through 16, which we'll be looking at in a few days. Now, incidentally, in the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, I've included a note uh, in the pink box there to the right, what the Koran says about Ishmael. You may find that interesting, interesting reading. In chapter 18, Sarah finds out she's expecting. Genesis 18, beginning now with verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamer, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree." And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that he may command his children in his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now keep in mind, Sarah's 90 years old here. 
Abraham had already been told she would bear a son, but apparently he hadn't passed that information on to Sarah. I guess in a day that had been filled with several hundred circumcisions, he just must not have gotten around to it that day. When the Lord, which is in all caps there, Jehovah or Yahweh, appears along with two other men here, Sarah's listening in on the conversation with her husband when the Lord tells Abraham that she'll bear a son next year, even though all the childbearing age symptoms had long departed from her. Verse 11 clearly says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. The notion of a 90-year-old woman bearing a child is just, well, too funny to take seriously. Sarah laughs, but only to herself. I guess, technically, she felt she was correct when accused by the angel of laughing and denying it. There's a very high commendation for Abraham here in verse 19 when the angel says, For I have known him, in order that he may command his children in his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Well, that's it for the good news. Now the conversation turns solemn. By the way, angels can't read minds, but God can. When it says in verse 12, Sarah laughed within herself, the Lord knew it. Sarah denies it in verse 15, but you know you just can't fool God. Okay, let's get it straight. Is it Jehovah or is it Yahweh? Now is a good time to establish an important key for reading the Old Testament. Today's translations of the Old Testament capitalize all four letters in the name Lord to indicate that the Hebrew word from which it's translated is Jehovah, also known as Yahweh. When only the first letter, the L, is capitalized, that's a translation of the Hebrew word Adonai. The distinction in Hebrew is clear. Adonai is the general term for reference to a master. While Jehovah is reserved in the Old Testament as the formal name of the God of the Hebrews, the one true God. Now, there's no question in this passage that Abraham is meeting with Jehovah himself, as the word reflects, just as he did in Genesis chapter 12 when he originally received his first promise from God in chapter 12 verse 7. Incidentally, the consonants that form the word Jehovah or Yahweh, it, well, it can be pronounced both ways. Since observant Jews through the ages didn't pronounce the word as a practice, the exact pronunciation was not preserved. That's why we don't know exactly how it was pronounced. And that's why some people today pronounce it Jehovah, while others pronounce it Yahweh. Technically speaking, however, there is no J sound in Hebrew. Those words actually begin with a hard Y consonant. Observant Jews today still do not pronounce the name of God. Additionally, you may have noticed that observant Jews today likewise write the word God, G-O-D, as G-D for the very same reason. It's felt by them that the name of God should not be spoken or written casually, used only in prayer. Now, in verses 20 to 33, what are we going to do about Sodom and Gomorrah? Verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, the Lord is on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah, a place that's turned very wicked. God's ready to destroy it. Then an amusing negotiation takes place between the Lord and Abraham. Really, it's only a negotiation in Abraham's own mind. God, of course, knows that there are not even ten righteous people in this wicked city. Now for the hard part, finding ten righteous people there. The Lord departs. By the way, we don't have an exact location for Sodom and Gomorrah. Most agree that it was in the vicinity of the Dead Sea. Some say southern edge and some say northern edge. One thing's for sure, complete destruction in Genesis chapter 19 is going to take place there. Incidentally, the Lord doesn't accompany the two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. They go without the Lord. We should note that God's treatment of Abraham in this passage is as a prophet. God supernaturally reveals his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham intercedes on behalf of the people. As a matter of fact, God identifies Abraham as a prophet when we get over to Genesis chapter 20 and verse 7. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.